The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Going to be in Luke chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 4. I don't normally do that. We normally are in one text, but we're going to hit two texts this morning. So if you want to, don't know where that's at, we'll have it on the screen, but you can go to Psalms, let it fall open, take a right. You're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke's one of our gospels, okay? And then continue to go to the right. One of the larger books in the, in the New Testament is Hebrews, so you should hit that. If you get to Revelation, the maps, you've gone too far, okay? So Hebrews and Luke is where we're going to be today. Um, I think, uh, well, let's just be honest with each other this morning while we're here since we have the opportunity to do this. But the thought, any, I think for most of us, the thought that we would spend an hour, like we're asking you on Wednesday night, in some ways, it's come and go, but to spend an hour in prayer and worship, I think that for most of, most of us, that idea of an hour-long prayer time is terrifying. <laughs> like it's a horrifying idea that someone would ask me to pray for an hour. Well, how about 15 minutes in a day? What if you just spread it out five minutes at a time and you just get 15 minutes for a day? Was that more doable or relatable or approachable? Or maybe if just one hour in a whole week? What level of prayer, what amount of prayer would be accessible to you? Would, 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 a, would somebody be able to come to you and say, hey, I'd like to challenge you to do this? And you're like, I think I can do that. There was a study that was done among seminary students, graduating seminary students. So these could have been uh, master's degree seminarians or doctorate level seminarians, okay? So they're going to go out and, and maybe academia or lead churches across the country. And these guys and girls have, again, their master's and doctorates, so they may be going to the mission field, but they struggle with vital prayer practices. Almost every single one of them, and this is, let's say, 95% of them, as they listed what the, their spiritual practices that they struggle with most was, prayer was number one for all of them. Few of them reported having more than 15 or 20 minutes completely, total time, in a 24-hour day that they would spend specifically praying. So maybe you let yourself off the hook a little bit, right? If our master's level seminarians, doctorate level seminarians are struggling with this, maybe it's okay a little bit if we struggle with it too. I don't know if we'll ever understand this perfectly or if we'll ever really practice it perfectly, but I know that each of us can do it more, and I know each of us can do it better. Um, And I think we need to be careful. We need to be really careful that we're not arrogant, and pray less because we don't understand it. There's an arrogance to that. Does that make sense? Simply because I don't understand something, I'm not going to participate in it. Especially when we're talking about the ways of God. There's a lot I'm not going to participate in if that's going to be my rate-limiting factor. Right? So we need to be very careful about how we approach this idea just because we don't maybe completely understand something. When we think about prayer, how would you even define prayer? What is it? What is prayer? If you had to say it in a sentence, how would you say it to somebody? How would you describe it to somebody? I think generally we're going to talk about prayer, understand prayer in one of two ways. We're going to see it as a time to ask God for things. 
I have some things I need God to do, and I'm going to spend some prayer time asking him to do those things. We might see prayer as devotional, right? I want to commune with God. I want to talk with God. Um, I want to hear his voice. You know, we may use that kind of language when we talk about prayer, but generally we're going to land in one of those two camps, or maybe our prayers are going to be a little bit of a mixture of those things. I'm going to ask God for stuff, and I'm going to hope to have some kind of a relationship with God when I pray. Tim Keller says this. He says, prayer is a personal, communicative response to some knowledge about God. God has revealed something about himself to me, and I'm responding to him personally by communicating with him. Now, that's a pretty dry but accurate definition of what prayer is. So here's, think about it like this. You get a call and the cancer is back or the cancer is there for the first time. That test is coming this week. You may have had some success. There may be a job issue coming up. You have an issue with your spouse or your children or your finances. We pray as we are personally responding to something that we know about God and how he can impact that area of need. I don't tend to pray to God to, 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 to God about things that I don't think he can do something about. I may not understand how he's going to do it, and I may be in some desperate place that I need him to do something, but rarely do I take something to God that I don't think he can do something about it. And the only way I can know that God could do something about that would be if he were to tell me he can do something about it. Because wouldn't it change your prayer life if you were reading scripture and God said, listen, I can do anything, but in the back of this book I've put a, with an asterisk, I've listed all the things I can't do anything about. So don't ask me about those things, but everything else, I got it. Now, wouldn't that change your prayers? What if I told you that the exact opposite is true? There is no asterisk. There is no special page on the back of the Bible where God says, I can't do anything about those things. Doesn't God say the exact opposite? I can do whatever I want to because I'm God. And you bring your stuff to me and I will hear you and I'll respond to that. Isn't that what scripture says? Shouldn't that change our prayer life? We tend to carry around a list of things that I'm not going to pray about because I'm not sure God can do something or I can't see how he's going to change the situation. But that is not God's testimony about himself, is it? God's testimony about himself is that he can do things. So as he is revealing things about himself to us, we respond in prayer. Praying is a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and through his grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Tim Keller wrote a book about prayer, and that's out of that book. And I, think, I thought it was great. God has told us about himself, and we respond to him when we talk to him. Now, what has God told us about him? We're going to kind of talk about that some today, about who God is and about what he's shown us about himself and how that probably ought to um, change the way that we pray. Now, I don't understand prayer. As I've gotten older, I've actually tried to spend more time in I think trying to understand prayer, and I, I don't think I'm any closer to really understanding much about it. Um, I don't understand it, but I think I've learned something, and this is really recent. I'm going to say in the last two and a half years, probably, to be honest, it probably coincides directly with what Mindy and I are walking through. It's a big overarching truth that's just helped me to pray more, and maybe that's it. Maybe it hasn't ch- changed my prayers so much as it's just helped me to pray more because I am a terrible prayer. I don't pray nearly as much as I ought to. I mean, forget, 
forget doing it well. I don't even know if I do it as much as I should. So this truth has helped me just pray more. Talk to God more, right? And I think it would be this. God meant for me to be where I am. First of all, God meant for me to be saved and where I am so that I could pray. So I'm gonna, I want to dig into that just a little bit. God chose me in Jesus before even... He chose us in Jesus, his people in Jesus, even before one of us had come into existence because God had prayers that he wanted me to pray. Now, does that change your prayer life? He has put me in certain situations with the, redeem, the redeemed heart that he's given me, the Holy Spirit in me, so that I would be exposed to people and to my own pains because there are prayers that need to be prayed. So maybe part of the answer when you get that call and the worst thing in your life happens, maybe one of the answers to the question of why me is, is God, how can I pray? I'm here, so I'll pray. How can I do it? Maybe that's one of the whys. That means that God has providentially placed us in situations with people who we are to lift up and to seek the Lord's desires for them. Now this means, this directly flows from and impacts what you believe about how sovereign God really is. How sovereign is God really? I believe that he has providentially placed us in situations with people who we are to lift up and seek the Lord's promise for them. So things like this, pretty much like the, the song we just sang, Lord, fulfill this promise in this person. You have said this in this word, in your word, make that come true in this person's life. Lord, let your kingdom come to my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. Some of us think that if I have a high view of sovereignty, I should pray less because God's going to do what he wants to do. On the contrary, a high view of sovereignty fills my prayer with a bold confidence that we are in our lives and God has designed that we pray where we are. Where has God placed you? I want you to think about your apartment complex or your neighbors or your teammates or your coworkers or your family members. What truth can you plead over them? Is it accidental? Are you just a product of thousands of years of DNA and you popped out one day? Or did God sovereignly ordain you to be where you are and the family you were born into and whatever family you landed in maybe later in life? But God has placed you there. And how can you think about these people that God has sovereignly placed you among and then say, God, what truth can I plead over these people in my life? What promise and help from the Lord can I seek for them? God put you there to pray. Are you? Are you going to argue with God about how he answers your prayers? Are you going to debate with God about how prayers ought to work? Are you going to get discouraged because life is hard and it seems like your prayers aren't making a difference? God put you there to pray. Are you? Will you? We're going to rush through a couple of texts, really. We're, going to, we're not going to be able to spend nearly the time I'd like to. We'll be in Luke chapter 11 and then over in that Hebrews passage. And we're going to see as much as we can about what Scripture says about God encouraging us to pray. See what God says about himself and then what God does to encourage us to pray. So look in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. This is going to be so familiar, we could probably say it from memory. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, that after he finished, one of his disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray, 
just like John taught his disciples. So Jesus says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we, can, uh, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Here's, I'm going to just pick out pop truth. I'm just going to pull truths out of here that are going to help us with our prayer life. Ready? The first thing that I take away from just the Lord's prayer is that, that idea of Father. Who are you praying to when you pray? You're praying to your Father. What does that mean? It means that He loves you. He loves you. It's not just a title. It's not positional. You understand that? Father is a title and it's a position. But man, it's so much more than that. He loves you. He accepts you. He forgives you. And listen, he does it all with authority and power. Talk to him. He knows everything you're going through and he loves you supremely. I don't know if I can say it any clearer than this. God can't love you anymore. He can't love you more. If you are his child and you've come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, he loves you in a way you'll never comprehend. I don't know if we'll ever get it. But he loves you because he is your father. He is eminently approachable. Now, some of us have our own daddy baggage and I understand that. And I think Jesus understood that. And I think God gets it too. But he chose that language specifically in how we relate to God. Because he wants you to understand that he is the safest dad that you could ever imagine. He's the best father that you could ever dream of. However cruddy your dad was and is, that is not the point. The point is God is imminently approachable as a father who loves you and accepts you and forgives you. So when you pray, you're praying to that God, that God who is our Father. He wants you to know that because of what Jesus did, which was removing our sins, and he rips down the division, the veil between us and God, he presents us to God as his brothers and sisters. That because of what Jesus did, God is our Abba. He's our Daddy. He's our Father. And that gives us closeness, and it makes him available. And there's a respect there, and there's power, and there's authority. But he is your dad. That's the very first thing that we should remember when we pray. Look at verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come uh, to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Second thing I would say out of this text, and should I find it to be very interesting that Jesus puts, I didn't put this here, the Holy Spirit did, right? 
And Jesus, he puts the Lord's Prayer back to back with this particular passage. That's very interesting. The second thing that I would say is we pull out of these verses some of these truths. First of all, I'm praying to my Father. Second thing is that God wants me to talk to him about moment-to-moment life. He wants to just me to talk to him about what's going on moment by moment. Give us this day our daily bread. The man comes to him at night asking for bread. Now here's what's at stake. So apparently he's, he's received because they don't have cell phones, remember? <laughs> okay. Millennials are like, what? How does that even work? Okay. They don't have cell phones. Okay. People showed up at their door late at night. It would have been an insult for them to have turned them away. It would have been deeply offensive in that culture for them to turn those people away. So they have to bring him in. So basically this neighbor is like, oh my gosh, these unexpected guests showed up. He goes to his neighbor to seek some help because he's trying to do the thing in their culture that's necessary to be hospitable. So what's at stake here is basically an insult or a loss of face. This does not constitute an emergency. Bro, you come to my door at midnight asking for some bread, I might throw bread at you. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. I might just talk to you through my ring and go, go away. Come back in the morning, right? Pretty sure Stripes is open and they have bread, you know? All that's at stake here is maybe a loss of, of, of face or, or an insult or some kind of uh, uh, an insult to, to these friends, but it's not an emergency. I love that. I love that that's what Jesus brings here, right? He doesn't come and say, my kid broke his leg. Or my house is on fire. Do you have any water? I need bread. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. A simple need in life that is important to me is my daily bread. It's a simple thing, but it's important to me. And Jesus is like, talk to me about that. Your dad cares about that. Talk to him about it. That's the second thing. Third thing. God, God is better at giving good things than the best earth dad is. God is better at giving good things than the best earth dad is. So the man, I just read this story, right? This man ends up getting up and giving his neighbor bread because the man is annoying, right? If you, there's some older, other texts and later on when it says that, uh, verse 8, it says because of his persistence, that word literally means because he pestered him, because he was annoying to him. The man didn't do it because he was his friend. He did it because he was annoying, Okay. So this picture that we have here is that the man doesn't give him bread because we're friends. He gives it to him because he's an annoying person. I wonder, were they friends after this, right? They were friends at the beginning of the story, but are they friends after the midnight call for bread? Is God still my friend after I've asked and 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 I'm so annoying? I'm such a little pain. Is he still my friend? Or is he like, oh my gosh, somebody get this kid some bread. Go away. Be careful how you read this text. This is a comparison with the absurd appealing to the opposite. In other words, Jesus is saying, let me paint a picture of God that can't possibly be true. God would never respond to you like this. Of course he isn't like that neighbor. We are to pray and to pray and to pray persistently, almost audaciously, not to a dispassionate, disinterested, distracted neighbor, but to our Father. 
If this is Jesus's point, if this man gave him bread after being, you know, the jerky neighbor at midnight, what will your loving father do for you? If Jordan shows up at my door at midnight asking for something, yeah, doors open, bro. What do you need? Do we need to go to get an ATM machine, get some cash? I got it. Let's do it. Whatever you need, buddy. It's different, right? He may have to knock on my door a lot too because I don't get up at midnight, right? But I'm going to get up and do it because he's my dad. God is better at giving good things than the best earth dad ever could. Fourth thing, prayer actually changes things. Verses 8 through 10 in particular talk about that. God has ordained things and he is sovereign over all. He has plans that can't be thwarted. And just as he has ordained the end, he has also ordained the means. So let me give you a cruddy analogy, but it works for me because I changed my wife's brakes this weekend. I changed Mindy's brakes on, on Saturday. I wanted to hurt somebody. I didn't curse, but I wanted to a couple of times, right? I got knocked up knuckles and stuff from bolts that wouldn't come off the car. Somebody back in Japan on that Mazda decided nine years ago or ten years ago when they made it to use a 14-millimeter bolt on the back of the, of the brake caliper. I have every other literally socket in my possession except a 14-millimeter socket. I figured it out. It was pretty rigged up, but there were pulleys involved and all kinds of stuff, you know, but I, I finally figured it out. But here's what that means. That means the maker of my 2011 Mazda chose to use a 14-millimeter nut, which means I have to use a 14-millimeter socket to get it off. God, in the same way, has ordained that prayers really do change things. Y'all understand the analogy? It's very much one-to-one. God designed things millennia ago before the creation of the world that would require your prayers to be prayed to make it move. Are you comfortable with that? I am. I'm really comfortable with that. I don't need God to respond on the fly to my prayers. Matter of fact, I like it better that millennia before I was even a sparkle in my parents' eyes, God said, I'm going to need him to pray a prayer so I can move that later on. It's the 14-millimeter nut on the back of my brakes. The neighbor prays, and the man comes to the door and does. We seek and we knock, and God does. Listen, pray because it changes things. Pray because it matters. Pray because God planned for it long ago to change things. He planned for you to be his child. He planned for you to ask for bread and health and financial rescue and your children's salvation. And he, pr- he planned for you to ask for a satisfying marriage at midnight. He planned for you to be where you are right now, praying. So pray. And right now I can hear, if I had the ESP and the power to hear your thoughts, I can hear your thoughts. But what about but how can I, but why does God do, but what happens if, pray, pray, pray. Here's, here's, this is another big truth that has changed my prayer life. It's that 10 second rule. We've talked about this before. If I feel like God's telling me to pray about something, I'm going to do it before I talk myself out of it. 10 second rule. If God pushes something in you to just lift something up to him, do it before you talk yourself out of the need to pray. Well, God doesn't care about that. Well, God can't do anything about that. Well, I'm too busy to stop and have this long King James prayer right now. God doesn't hear me unless I use thee and thou. You know? 
I used to terrify Mindy. We'd go out to eat. This is when we had kids. I didn't want to teach my kids bad habits. We would go to like pizza places, really the most casual places you could ever eat. And we would bow our heads and I'd go, Oh, Father, we bless thine thou provision. Just because I knew that it shredded Mindy, man. So she would just shrink behind her pizza. You don't have to pray like that. You don't have to do that, man. Pray. Pray where you're at. Pray with what's going on before you talk yourself out of it. What's the next thing we can learn here? Prayer actually changes things. The next thing, pray with real trust. This is the definition of faith, is it not? The moment I give voice to a prayer request, I have exercised faith. It may not be much, but I've asked God to do something. And just by the mere fact that I've laid it at his feet, I'm trusting him to do something. There's some faith involved in the act of prayer. Every time you whisper a prayer, even though you may come at it like, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how many times I have to pray about this. But please do something. Every time you pray a prayer, it's an act of faith. It's trust. So what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your, I don't pray because I'll figure it out. That's your expertise. Are you trusting in your knowledge, in your college degree, in your good looks, in your humor, in your artistic ability? Are you trusting in doctors, your employer, your paycheck, your health? None of them are good and powerful enough. That thing may answer your prayer for a little while, but eventually it's going to fail. None of those things are worth your trust. Not one of them. None of them are worth your faith. Not one of them. The neighbor trusted in this story. In Luke chapter 18, it talks about a woman who goes to a judge and does the same thing and just pesters him and pesters him and pesters him until the judge rules in her favor. That woman trusts God. Children trust their father. I'm going to also trust God. Here's another one. I don't want to strain this text too much. But I'm going to also trust God that sometimes I'm asking for snakes and scorpions and I don't even know it. I'm going to trust God that not only will he not give me things that will harm me, he will keep me from getting things that I'm asking for that would harm me. I'm trusting that he knows and he won't give those things to me. It might look like boring old bed, but it's not the scorpion bread, but it's not the scorpion or snake that I had my heart set on. Have you ever had your heart set on something that's just not good? Like it's destructive? I'm going to trust God that he does not say yes to that prayer. Amen? (laughs) At the end of May, they're going to remake Aladdin. And I wish they would quit making these old movies again because the old ones were awesome, right? It looks awful. Um, Anyway, some of us think about God like that genie in a bottle. We think about prayer and we think that's the way it works. Or maybe a slot machine. The genie is I get whatever I want. I say a magic incantation. I pray a particular kind of prayer. I pray a certain number of times over a certain period of days. I use the right language, and God gives me what I want. He has to. He's obligated to. He's my genie. The slot machine God is, I'm going to put a prayer in, and I hope it works out in my, my benefit. Not sure. Kind of a roll of the dice. Never know what mood God might be in today. Hope everything lines up for me. Some of us see prayer. When we think about prayer, we think that when I pray, all I'm seeing is the back of Jesus. Like he's not even looking at me when I'm talking to him. 
He's not hearing me when I approach him, like he's preoccupied with something else. We're going to transition into Hebrews chapter 4 in just a moment. I want you to have that picture in your head because I think it might be accurate. Have the picture in your head that as you are talking to Jesus, his back actually might be to you because you know what Hebrews 4 says. It says he's our high priest. And when the high priest offered up sacrifices for the people, he didn't face the people. He faced the seat of mercy. He faced the altar. And he turned his back on his people and he said, God, hear their prayers. I'm offering up the sacrifice. What is Jesus offering up? Himself. So maybe you are seeing the back of Jesus. I'm going to trust that he's interceding for me. That he's turned to offer up my sacrifice to him because he's a great high priest. Amen. I'm going to trust God when I talk to him. So I'm going to pray with real trust. The next thing I'm going to say out of these verses, prayer is an opportunity to ask for more of God or to give God more of me. We come to God and we're like, God, I need, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And he's like, I know, I know, and I have it all. But isn't it amazing that here in Luke, before we've even really heard about the Holy Spirit, Jesus drops that in here. It's like, how good am I? You don't want to know how good our Father is? Our Father is so good that not only will he give you bread, not only will he not give you a scorpion, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll give you himself. How many times do I come to God and I'm like, God, I need, I need, I need. And his response to me is, no, you need me. You need to submit to me. You need to trust me with more of your life. Prayer reveals so much about me (laughs) and me and us. If we looked at our prayer journal for the last year, what would be our number one request? And what does that reveal about where your heart is? If you look back at your prayer journal over the last year, what would be your number one request? It's the number one thing you're bringing to God over and over and over again. And what does that reveal about us? Maybe we need to have a prayer sprinkled in there. God, take more of me. Give me more of your Holy Spirit's power and leadership in my life. Maybe our prayers need to have that in there also. Let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at another just fascinating passage about who Christ is and what he's doing uh, in our prayers. Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 14. It says, Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who can't uh, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he is without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find find grace to help us in the time of need. The next thing I would say, in prayer... When we pray, we are entering into God's throne room of grace. Praise and worship have their place in our spiritual lives. But we cannot confuse the appropriate emotional response to the gospel and worship to coming into God's throne room through prayer. This is the place where smoke rises. This is the place where the king sits. This is the place where the cherubim and the seraphim sing and praise and bow and they shield their faces because of his glory. We come to the throne of grace. That's where we go when we pray. 
Here's the other cool thing about that. It's the throne of grace, right? It's not the government or helping hands or second mile or friends of North Richmond with limited resources and maybe even a limited willingness to help. It's the throne of grace. Free grace. Amen? We should say amen to that. I don't have to go to God and finagle with him and barter with him. It's the throne of grace. Are your prayers pretty? You pray pretty prayers? Some of us do. Like some people, I like listening to to them pray. Most of us don't. Are your prayers pretty? Are they works of art? How many of us, when we pray, we say just and Father way too much? Right? Well, just Father God, just, I want to just pray just, Lord, Father, just that, Lord. (laughs) It's like my mom, when you talk to my mom, you get, you know, every other word. You know, we were going to the store, you know, when the other day in the car, you know, we were driving to the gas, you know, and just everyone like, what are you talking about? I don't know. You're telling me a story right now. <laughs> if I knew, you wouldn't have to tell me the story. Listen, when you pray, man, don't be encouraged or, dis- or, or discouraged or, or intimidated at all. The enemy would love us, love us to convince ourselves that God doesn't want to hear our prayers because we don't pray pretty. Don't be discouraged. God responds to desperate humility and our needs because he's driven by grace. He sits on a throne of grace, not performance. And that means my prayers don't have to be a performance either. They shouldn't be. They should be raw and real and rough and sloppy probably, but just sincere, humbly crying out to God because that's what moves God, by the way. Not profound prayers, Grace hears your heart when your words fail or you don't even know what to ask for. That's grace. And we approach God in a throne of grace when we pray. Next thing, we pray with confidence. And I love this too. It says that specifically in here. What do we have confidence in? In ourselves? We have confidence in Jesus because he knows our pains and he knows our temptations and he knows our struggles and he knows our thoughts And he knows also who he has made us to be. We are his children. We are the children of God. So we have confidence in Christ because it says later in Hebrews that he lives forever to make intercession for us. We have confidence that I can go into the throne room and I may stumble and bumble my way through and ask for snakes and scorpions. And eventually Jesus is just patting us on the head going, Father, here's what he's trying to say. Amen? He ever lives to open the way and make intercession for us as we pray. So we're going to pray with confidence. Next thing, we find out about prayer here. We get real help in our time of need when we pray. Real help. Where do you need help? And that it? That's right here, right? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where do you need help? help? Where do you need real help? Does your heart need to change? Not just your, um, so again, we're going to move beyond circumstances. We're going to move beyond what we would rather be different in our lives. I'm going to kind of drill in here. Where do you need help? Does your mind need to change? Does your heart need to change? Does your will and your choices need to change? Does your fundamental way of seeing the world and everybody in it need to change? There is real help for you. Maybe it's not your circumstances. Maybe you need to change. Real help. 
God, give me the things. Give me the things that I would pray for if I knew how to pray for them. (laughs) There's a prayer. God, give me the things that I would pray for if I knew how to pray for them. I need real help. Last thing I would say, prayer humbles me. Not only do I approach God humbly, but it actually humbles me. It causes me to throw myself on God's waiting mercy. Mercy doesn't come to those who demand it, and mercy doesn't come to those who think they've earned it. Grace and mercy are free to the penitent and the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Why? So that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself. Throw yourself on God's mercy under his mighty hand. When you get to that point, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. I don't have any other options here. You're in the best possible place to pray. Sometimes I wonder if we're like, God, help me to do my best on this project today at work or something. I wonder if God's like, hey, why don't you just let me kind of do it through you? I'll take your best and use it, but I really don't need your help, (laughs) you know? There's no other rescue for me. Humility and trust in God's mercy. (laughs) Mercy, I'm trusting that God's going to give me what I need most because I'm his kid. I'm his child. There's mercy there. How many times have you just been merciful to your children for no other reason than they're your children? Matter of fact, they deserve the opposite, but you're merciful to them. What about when we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask and we seek, and there's some long delay, or maybe there's a no? What do we do with that? We have to trust that it's God's absolute best for us. Are you ready to receive that? Because that's a tough one to swallow. I don't think I get trust on the other end of the spectrum where I want God to answer all my prayers with yes, or at least what's best for me, if I don't also let him reserve the right to say no or wait for a long time because that's what's best for me. There's a lot of things that I do for my best that I don't like. I eat broccoli sometimes. Pretty, pretty rare, but I'll do it. I'm trying to eat less bread. Not because I like it or don't like it. I love it because it's good for me. Some of you guys, when you at the doctor, you go to the doctor when you're 49 and 50, not because you like it, because it's, they say it's good for you. I don't know. To be seen. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit responds to this kind of an ongoing prayer. He responds to prayer that is consistent and persistent, but sometimes there's a delay, and sometimes there's a no. Why would there sometimes be a delay? Old Puritan writer. Hard to read, actually. I don't really enjoy reading them a lot, but I'll dig into them sometimes. A guy named Thomas Watson, I ran across this a couple of weeks ago, wrote a book called Body of Divinity, and in that book he said, there are times when God says no, or God says wait. Here were the four things that he could kind of figure out about that. First of all, God loves it when we pray with faith. And I do, I don't have a problem with this. 
Sometimes God wants us to pray in faith, and sometimes that prayer of faith happens over and over and over again, and God relishes faith. He, like, eats it. He loves it. It's the one thing that when Jesus was on the earth, the Bible says that surprised Jesus when people showed faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Sometimes God loves it when we pray in faith, and it's an exercise in him enjoying his people coming to him in faith. Secondly, God responds to humility, and he wants to humble us. Sometimes we need to wait because we're not all that. How many times have you, again, had to tell your kids, listen, you're going to be the last one, right? You're the one who's always jumping in the front. You're the one who's always got to be first. You're the one who's always pushing everybody out of the way. You're going to be last. You need to learn patience. You need to learn some humility. God wants us to learn humility, and sometimes he has to humble us in that process. Third reason God may say, wait or no, God sees when we are not ready for what we seek. And there are other things that need to change. There are other people that need to be moved. There's other circumstances that have to come into play. And I'm asking for something now, and he's like, it's not time. The fullness of my plan hasn't come about yet. It's not time for you yet. Wait. i got to move some other stuff around. Fourth reason God might say wait or no. When we actually receive his mercy, we tend to treasure it a lot more. Delayed gratification tends to make me happier about that thing when I get it than when I get it at the very beginning. Like, that's why we all wreck our first cars. You ever thought about that? We all wreck our first cars. Why? Because we got it when we were 16. I don't know what our parents are even thinking about, right? We get our car, car, but man, if I had to wait till I was like 32 to get a car, oh my gosh, you know what? That'd be like a treasure. No matter what it was, it could be that crappy Nova that I drove when I first started driving, 76 white Nova, giant 350 engine in it. I had no business driving that car. Torn up blue interior from the 70s, you know? Hated that car. Wrecked it. Give me that car when I'm 32. I'm like, yes, baby. Just get me to work today. You know what I'm saying? You're awesome. When we receive his grace and his mercy after a delay, we tend to treasure it more. I think all of this takes us back to the gospel. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up, Jimmy. You guys come on, make your way up. As long as I believe that God is unwilling or unable to help me, or that I'm undeserving of his love or help, I will struggle with prayer. The gospel addresses every bit of that in my heart. God is more than able, God is more than willing, and he has made me more than worthy through Jesus Christ. i got to preach the gospel to myself over and over and over and over again. Because when I think that God doesn't care, and when I think that God can't do something about my position, and when I think I'm not worthy for him to listen to, the gospel says, no, no. God is more than able to solve your worst problems. God cares about more, you more than you could ever know, and he's made you his child. You're worthy to talk to him. Amen? That's the gospel, guys. And the gospel reminds me about that in my prayer life. Last thing I would say, this takes us back to the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray. Whenever you pray, however you're praying, I want you to pray for God's glory. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. Here's another way to say that. Lord, I'm going to pray this prayer, and however you choose to answer this prayer, I want your name and your character to be magnified in me. 
When you think about magnifying God's greatness or God showing his glory through you, I want you to see it like this. It's not like a speck of a submolecular item that you need a microscope to see. So you're not saying, hey, my life is awful, but God did this little miracle. Would you like to see it? It's tiny. You're going to have to squint. And he's really good. Do you see that? He's itty bitty. I'm sorry. It's hard to see sometimes. It's more like this. God's glory is that black hole that we just, you know that? We just saw for the first time in human history a picture of a black hole four weeks ago. Black hole is the most gargantuan thing in the universe outside of the universe that we can think of. It's so powerful that gravity is so powerful, light cannot escape from it. I need a telescope to see it, but that doesn't mean it's small. And that doesn't mean that its glory is not more than anything I could ever imagine. Sometimes in my life, in my wreck of a life, I need to pray, God, let your glory be seen in me so that when people see me with the telescope, they see your glory in me. It's encapsulated in my junk and in my pain and in my sorrow and in all my screwed up sinfulness. But God, as you answer my prayers, let people see your magnificent glory in my life. Let people see your glory and your name and your wonder and your great majesty, God, and how you answer your prayer, my prayers to you. So we're going to draw near to God in prayer and in worship. I'm going to ask our prayer team, if you're here this morning on our prayer team, get up, kind of make yourself available around the room, kind of toward the back, probably the sides of the room. We're going to go into a time of prayer and worship. We talk so much about Jesus and about that Hebrews passage in particular. I want to encourage you, man. Listen, let's draw near to him right now in prayer and worship. Jesus came into our world so that we could enter into his world in prayer. So let's do that through our prayer and our worship time. I think it'd be kind of, again, hypocritical if we did all this talk about prayer and then we didn't pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend, and this is totally up to the worship team, how the rest of this time goes this morning. If you want to get your child at a high five and bring him in here, they can worship and pray with us. That's absolutely fine. You do what you feel like the Lord's leading you to do. But we're going to go to a time of prayer and worship. There are people who have made themselves available around this room. And if you need to get prayed over, just, God, I need this prayer request. I don't know who to go to. Just find one of them and and go ask for prayer. There's a prayer wall over here. You can fill out a prayer request card and put it on that wall. You can grab a prayer request off of that wall and pray for someone. We also want to give you the freedom to go and encourage each other this morning. You're going to see me walking around the room. I've been praying about this for a couple of days. And I, I have some people I know the Lord wants me to talk to. So I'm going to make my way through the room and I may grab somebody and pray with them. I've got something actually I want to give a couple of you. God can do the same thing to you right now. Some of you are like, well, I hope somebody comes to get me. Why don't you start to pray, God, who can I minister to this morning? What word could you give me that I could give away to somebody else this morning? So this is just free-flowing praise and worship time. You can sit and praise and pray and worship. You can come to the kneelers get prayed over, give encouragement, pray with someone. You may know somebody in the room and they just need a a word of prayer. You know, just go to them and pray with them, man. Let's not be hesitant or shy during this time. In the power of the Lord, let's get up and let's go pray for people, amen? So just use this time however the Lord wants you to use it and be obedient to him. Father, we are yours and we've heard a lot about prayer today. We've talked a lot about prayer today, God. Father, pray that we'd be obedient to your spirit right now. We would hear whatever it is you're saying to us. God, we would get up and we would go. 
and we would get up and we would give somebody a word of encouragement or a word of prayer. We would get prayed over. That's a step of faith for some of us. We just get up and have our marriages prayed over. Maybe families come and pray together. But God, we would be obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells us to do right now, God. This is your time, Father. Move in us. Cause our prayers to be prayers of faith and trust. So whatever God's leading you to do during this time, get up and do it.
a soar in your presence, a song that we never want to end because it glorifies your name. Teach me that song, Lord, the song that lessens my view of myself and lifts you to your rightful place, a song that glorifies your goodness and your justice, a song that changes the heart of men, that sparks the fire in their hearts when they hear it. Teach me to sing these songs to you in every season. When it's dark and I can't see, 
let me sing the songs of heaven. And when I'm in the light and shining, let me sing the songs of heaven. Give me a song, Lord, one that pleases your heart and one that gives you your right due, one that focuses our attentions on your name and your glory.
Pat McCool, can you come up here real quick? worship up here on Sunday mornings, week in and week out, um, there's, there's, there's stories in the room. Um, you know, I, I know the stories of these chairs, and so that it, for me, it just even makes the songs even that much more meaningful. Um, when we talk about rescue and the goodness of the Lord and His faithfulness, and how maybe, like when we sing the song, Never Once, because um, I know some of the, the trying times. Um, Pat, every Sunday morning, we could have the most awful set. I mean, I could have no voice. The drums could be offbeat, you know, whatever. And she's going to be praising and worshiping and giving her all to the Lord. And it encourages me to do so as well. Um, I just asked her to just quickly share why you love the Lord and how he's been faithful. And I want to sing a song with everyone just one more time, and we'll spend some time in prayer, you know, as whatever the Lord wants to do. But, yeah. Why I act stupid, I, I don't know. Um, but I think that when we sing the songs, I, I, I get in my head that God is hearing them. And, and when we listen to the sermon, when we listen to the word, when we read the Bible, we're, we're talking about the God of all creation. And we're offering this, our, our finiteness to this infinite God of everything. And if he gave everything to me, can't I make myself look a little stupid? You know, we go to baseball games and we scream really loud. We go to football games, basketball games, we make fools of ourselves. We wear stupid costumes and we show up. But when we come into church, we get this, oh, I'm so scared. Why I worship? Because he lets me. I'm very aware of the fact that he lets me breathe. So surely I can offer him my breath. It's the breath in my lungs that doesn't belong to me in the first place. That every time I used to say to Joe, how are you doing? Well, I'm vertical. By the grace of God, I'm vertical. I'm standing up on this side of the grass. And so I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I'm not going to tell you that every morning I'm lifting up my hands, I'm feeling great. A lot of the times I'm feeling pretty bad. But who am I? It would be arrogant of me to sit there and whine about it. But I stand up and I lift my hands to heaven. And I ask him to just accept this thing that I call holy hands. Accept my feeble knees. Accept what it is I offer to him with my voice. 
and just accept what I have. I guess that's why I worship, because I get to. Oh, 